0: Sometimes I feel ashamed of my testimony. It's true. Now, I'm not ashamed of Christ or the gospel, but sometimes I feel like my story is not very spectacular. Like it's not really worth telling because it's boring. I mean, other people's stories would be way better to convince people to follow Jesus. I was not saved from a drug addiction or abuse. I was not saved from a life of crime or violence. I was not saved from death's door or a terminal illness. But I have been saved from sin and death. And I must be reminded that my story is not about me. Maybe there's some of you here who can identify with me. Maybe you're struggling with me like, uh, like me with uh, unnecessary shame. Maybe there's others here who don't necessarily relate to this because you have an interesting story. Maybe you're struggling with pride because your story's so interesting. Maybe there's still others in the room who haven't yet started to follow Jesus you're just waiting for the right time well regardless of your story circumstances we all need to be reminded that it's not about how you began it's about who you're following Amen. we're going to walk through john 1:35 through 51 where jesus calls four different disciples to follow him in four different ways we're going to look at them two at a time to see how the first pair sought out Jesus, and the second pair were sought out by him. Now we're gonna look at the differences and similarities of these four accounts to be reminded that Jesus is the only one worth following. And the circumstances don't really matter compared to the glory of the one that we follow. Your testimony is not about you it's about Jesus. Now turn in your Bibles with me. We're going to start in John 1, 35, where we'll see the first pair of disciples who sought out Jesus. Now two days prior to this, John the Baptist had just told the religious leaders that he was only the forerunner of the one who had the authority to turn their religious system upside down. And only a day ago he saw Jesus and proclaimed to everyone who was there that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John the Baptist's declaration proved that Jesus is the one to look to rather than him because Jesus has always existed as God and he is the only one worthy to be followed. Now we come to day three of John's narrative and it opens again with John the Baptist says the next day again john was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at jesus as he walked by and said behold the lamb of god the two disciples heard him say this and they followed jesus jesus turned and saw them following and said to them what are you seeking and they said to him rabbi which means teacher where are you staying he said to them come and you will see So first among those who sought out Jesus is Andrew, who was counseled to follow the Lamb of God. Now John, John the Baptist here, he says the exact same thing that he said the previous day. He sees Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. But the story kind of shifts to these two disciples that were following John. They hear him say this and they start following Jesus. The command, behold, I think was taken by them to say, oh, we should follow him, okay. So the disciples are curious, right? In uh, verse 37, the two two disciples heard that this man was the Lamb of God, so they decide to go and check him out, because if he really is the Lamb of God, then they've got to follow him. And Jesus has compassion on them. He turns and sees them following him, and he asks this interesting question. He says, "What are you seeking?" You'd think he he would ask, "Why are you following me?" I mean, if we're walking down the streets of Vallejo and a couple of guys start following us, we maybe walk a little faster, right? And say, "Why are you following me, man?" But I love it, Jesus looks at them and says, what are you seeking? Now this is a probing question. It's just like throughout scripture when God in his omniscience asks a question, you know that he already knows the answer. And just like that, Jesus already knows the answer to this question. Jesus knows that they were counseled by John to follow him. I mean, he probably heard John call him the Lamb of God both times. And now he asks them this question that's designed to get them thinking about their own hearts, about why they're actually following him, the real reason. They were seeking the Lamb of God, the savior from sin and death. Now these two uh, disciples, one of them in verse 40 here is, is uh, identified as Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. Now, I I don't know if you've ever been introduced as like your relation to somebody else. I I can still remember the first time that I was introduced as Caden's dad. That was that was shocking. I had never like, I'm Caden's dad. Yeah, I, I I mean that's right, but like he's my son, like. <laughs> So Andrew here, he's not really as well known to John's audience as his brother Simon Peter was. His brother was very prominent in the early church, in the culture of John's original audience. He was also a prominent figure in the other gospel accounts that were written well before this one. And Peter's reputation, it preceded him, not so much Andrew's. So Andrew is... Introduced here as Simon Peter's brother. You know Simon Peter? Oh yeah, this is his brother. Oh, okay. And now the other disciple, because there's two disciples, it was likely the author, John. Throughout his gospel, he talks about himself because he was there. He can't just remove himself from the story, but he refuses to identify himself. And so... Since he was so adamant to not focus on himself, we'll also not focus on him. We're focusing on Andrew here. But both of them began following Jesus because a spiritual leader counseled them. Perhaps some of you can identify with that. And that's how I came to know the Lord. The pastor, actually it was a Sunday school teacher, gave me the the gospel and I believed it. So those who began following Jesus because a pastor or teacher counseled them, you can identify with Andrew here. This is those of us who grew up in the church and maybe we can't even remember the exact moment that we were born again. Well, one of the things that a seemingly unremarkable story like this does is it shows Jesus' glory and mercy in preserving us from some of the horrors of living life without the influence of God's word. And Andrew's story, like many of ours, proclaims that Jesus is worthy to be followed because he is the Lamb of God. He's the sacrificial savior who died in our place and experienced God's wrath so we wouldn't have to. And the next disciple who sought Jesus was Peter, who was compelled to follow the Messiah, the Christ. In verse 41, we see Andrew's excitement. We see it in the word first. It might not look very interesting in our English translation here, but first shows that he had something important he needed to do. Jesus, I want to follow you, but first I got to go do something. As soon as Andrew figured out who Jesus was, he realized that he had something important to do. And I think this is before Andrew stayed the night with Jesus. He made a pit stop. He went and found his own brother, He couldn't help but rush to his brother and relay the good news. They found him, the Messiah, the Christ, God's anointed one. The search was finally over. And not only did Andrew tell his brother the good news, that their search was finally over, but then he brought his brother along to follow Jesus as well. And In verse 42, Jesus doesn't even wait to hear if Andrew's brother wants to follow him. As soon as he sees him, he gives him a new name, a new identity. No longer would he be called Simon, flat-nosed. That's what Simon means. His new name in Aramaic is Cephas, or in Greek, Peter, the rock, So those who began following Jesus, because a family member compelled you to ident- uh, c- compelled you, you can identify with Peter. Perhaps you came to follow Jesus because your mom told you the gospel, or your brother told you the gospel, or your dad or a grandparent. or maybe, like Peter you had a severe identity shift after encountering Jesus in the gospel. Now, ultimately, all of us have an identity shift when we come to Jesus, but some people, it's a little bit more pronounced. And Peter's story, like many of ours, proclaims that Jesus is worthy to be followed because he's the Christ. He's the anointed one. Specially chosen to work out God's glorious plan of salvation. Now next we're going to see the two disciples who didn't necessarily seek Jesus. Instead, they were sought by him. This is John 1, 43 to 51. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael, who said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So the day after Andrew and Peter sought Jesus, Jesus seeks out Philip, who was called to follow the fulfillment of prophecy. So Jesus is getting ready to go to Galilee, and he sees Philip and he says, follow me. Follow me. It's a remarkably simple command, isn't it? Just two words, follow me. Now, I think Jesus had fostered a reputation of being a teacher, someone worthy to be followed, because the first two disciples, the previous day, had called him rabbi. Now, other than that, we don't really get to know yet why Philip decided to obey the simple command, follow me. But who is this random Philip guy? I mean, we went from John the Baptist, who is the prophesied forerunner of the Messiah, and then we went to two of his disciples, and then we went to the brother of one of those disciples, but now there's this guy named Philip who seemingly doesn't have any connection with any of the other people we have been introduced to up to this point. Now the author, John, gives us that connection in a side note in verse 44. Philip is from the same town as Andrew and Peter. Now we've got the connection. They're all from Bethsaida. They probably like wrestled each other in high school or something. So but why does Philip decide to follow Jesus when he just says follow me? Well, he goes and tells his friend what's happening. And he when when he tells his friend what's happening, he reveals his understanding of who this is, why he decided to follow him. So he goes and tells his friend, but wait a second. We've seen something like this before, haven't we? This is the same thing that Andrew did. He said, wait up, Jesus, I gotta go get my brother. And Philip says, hold on, Jesus, I gotta go get Nathaniel. Each of them, as soon as they figured out who Jesus was, they went and brought someone else. And what Philip tells his friend reveals exactly what he understood about who had called him to follow this is the one whom Moses and the prophets wrote about. He's the focal point of all of Scripture. This man from Nazareth is the fulfillment of all the Messianic prophecies. So those who began following Jesus because he found them or a complete stranger led them, can identify with Philip. Sometimes people are led to Jesus because he providentially makes himself known through anonymous strangers or circumstances. I'm talking about God's word getting into people's hands in miraculous ways. People who aren't led to Jesus by a specific person, but Jesus finds them through his word, nonetheless. I can't tell you how many testimonies I've heard from the Gideons that fall into this category. People who come to the end of themselves in a hotel room and find a Bible in the side table and open it and find Jesus, the perfect answer to their sin and suffering. Now Philip's story, like some of ours, proclaims that Jesus is worthy to be followed because he is the fulfillment of prophecy. He finally came to save all mankind from their greatest enemies, sin and death. And then Jesus seeks out Philip's friend, Nathanael, who was convinced to follow the king of Israel. Now, Philip had just told his friend Nathanael that this man named Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy. But Nathanael doubts. He doubts the truth of this claim because he focuses on the fact that Jesus was from Nazareth. Uh Uh-oh, Jesus. Things aren't going so smoothly anymore. We've got a naysayer on our hands. Nathaniel clearly has doubts about this Jesus guy making the claim to be the fulfillment of prophecy. I mean, maybe Nathaniel thought that the one to fulfill those prophecies would be from a prominent city like Jerusalem. Or maybe he thought he would be some mystical divine being who had no earthly origin. But certainly not a guy from Nazareth, of all places. I mean, Nazareth was the hood. You don't expect the long-awaited fulfillment of all your hopes and dreams from Scripture to come from the wrong side of the tracks. That's why he doubts Philip's report and rhetorically asks, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I think we all know places like Nazareth. Can anything good come out of those places? But Philip, like a good friend, says... Come and see. There's no convincing that kind of doubt without seeing it for yourself. And remember how Philip's actions were so similar to Andrew's? Where he stopped, went, and got his friend? Well, now Jesus' initial interaction with Nathaniel is similar to his initial interaction with Peter. As soon as he saw Peter, he identified him by name and gave him a new name. And now as soon as he sees Nathaniel, he identifies him by his reputation. Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Wow, what a reputation. I mean, you can't pull the wool over this guy's eyes. He's sharp. He's on it. No false Messiah on his watch. Now Jesus' introduction to Nathaniel did not have the same effect as it did with the previous three disciples. The others seemed to follow Jesus as soon as they saw him. But not Nathaniel. Nathaniel is still doubtful and on guard. I imagine he said this in a standoffish way. He says, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now at first glance, Jesus' answer doesn't seem very remarkable. I mean, he just gives a time reference, before Philip called you, a location, while you're under the fig tree and in action, I saw you. Super basic, right? I mean, Jesus may have seen him when he was walking on, along the way to to talk to Philip, or something like that. But Jesus' answer actually reveals something very interesting. It reveals that he had been seeking Nathaniel even before Nathaniel knew he existed. And we don't get to know exactly what Nathanael understood by Jesus's answer or all the nuances of exactly what it means. All we get to know is that Jesus was seeking Nathanael before Nathanael could even think about seeking Jesus. And then verse 49, an amazing thing happened. All of Nathanael's doubts about Jesus vanished instantly. And we can't understand exactly what went through Nathaniel's head when he heard Jesus's answer, but the result was a complete change, complete change of heart from doubt to belief. Nathaniel understood at once that this man from Nazareth was actually God in the flesh, the King of Israel. Apparently something good can come out of Nazareth. Now those of us who began following Jesus because a friend loved us and our doubts were demolished, we can identify with Nathaniel. Maybe you came to Jesus because of a friend as well, or maybe like Nathaniel, you resisted believing in Jesus because you had doubts about the truth of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross for you. And Nathaniel's testimony, like some of ours, proclaims that Jesus is worthy to be followed because he is the king of Israel, the almighty ruler to whom we all owe our allegiance. And he is the son of God, God in the flesh, who made heaven and earth, and who made you and me. Then the last two verses, Jesus makes two more statements to put a frame of reference for us around these events as he called his first disciples to follow him. The first statement is a comparison. He compares the circumstances that led to the belief that Nathaniel had just experienced and the future experiences that will confirm Jesus' divinity and lordship in an even greater way. Says, so because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Those are the circumstances. You will see greater things than these. The second statement is an example of one of those glorious experiences that the disciples will have. Seeing heaven opened and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And the point that Jesus is making is that the circumstances that caused belief are nothing compared to the glory of Jesus himself. It's not about how you come to believe, it's about who you believe in. The circumstances are not the point. Jesus is. As glorious as our circumstances might seem, or as boring as they might seem, Jesus is greater. So there's a number of differences between these four accounts, mostly in how one begins following. I mean, ultimately, God seeks us first, but some of us may feel like we're the ones who are seeking God. And others may feel like we weren't seeking God at all, but Jesus chased us down anyway. And some became following, or be- began following because a pastor or teacher counseled you, like Andrew. Some began following because a family member compelled you, like Peter. Some began following because Jesus called you through an anonymously placed Bible kind of like Philip. And some began following because you were convinced to turn from your doubt to belief, like Nathaniel. See, there are as many different ways to begin following Jesus as there are people in God's kingdom. And the differences can be interesting, for sure, but the real glory comes in the one similarity, the similarity of who we all began following. And these four disciples saw four different aspects of the same glorious person of Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the fulfillment of prophecy, And the King of Israel, the Son of God. All four of these disciples proved by their testimony that Jesus is worthy to be followed. That's what your testimony is meant to do as well to prove that Jesus is worthy to be followed. And it's not about how you begin following, it's about who you are following. So don't worry about your story, whether it's spectacular or not. The one who you follow is infinitely more glorious than the circumstances by which you began following. If your story is dynamic and interesting, that's all well and good, Jesus is better. If your story is bland and boring, like mine, don't disparage your story because Jesus is better. Your story is more about Jesus than it is about you, and he's infinitely glorious. Now, if you haven't yet began following Jesus, then right now it is actually, about how you begin following. And how you begin, as Ryan read in Romans, is by believing. Believe in your heart. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The whole point of John's gospel is to prove that Jesus is the Christ so that you believe that, because by believing that, you have life in His name. If you're still trusting your own merit to be right with God, rather than trusting the Lamb of God, if you're still believing in your own understanding of the world, rather than believing the Messiah, the Christ, if you're still trying to fulfill your own self-made destiny instead of relying on the fulfillment of prophecy, if you're still trying to be the king of your life rather than bowing to the king of Israel, the son of God, then I implore you to stop and turn to Jesus. Believe in him and submit to him because he is the only way to be right with God. He is the only way to be saved from your sin and the wrath of God because of your sin. He is the only way to truly have eternal life. And you don't know when you will be called to give an account of your life. It could be today. What will you say in your defense? I mean, ultimately, nothing you could say will justify you before the Father. Only faith in Jesus can do that. Now, all of us who have followed Jesus, we must not focus on us, we must focus on him. Because the glory of Christ in our story is lost when we get out of focus. And all who are not yet following Jesus, you must follow him instead of rebelling against him because there is no eternal life without following Christ. And remember, it's not about how you begin following, it's about who you follow. And the testimonies of these four disciples And all of our testimonies prove that Jesus is the only one worth following. Father, you have exalted your Son before us in your word. He is the one we must follow, He is the one we must believe in. He is the one through whom you made all things. He's the one who died in our place so that we could be reconciled to you. He's the one who rules and reigns at your right hand. He's the one who's interceding for us right now. He's the one who perfectly answers all of our sins and sorrows. He's the one who's coming back to make all things new. And Father, I pray I pray that we would have faith that he is sufficient to save us from sin and death. I pray that we would be transformed into his likeness. I pray that we would love each other like he loved us I pray that we would have hope that he's coming back. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.